Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. All right, welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Good morning, Jeremy White with Bert Deister here on ESPN 1520. Happy Saturday. Happy spring. We are in spring. I think so. It's official. It is spring. I've been looking at the long-term forecast. Hopefully, we're okay for the next couple months. Not to get a winter. Yeah, and temperatures uh, supposed to get up into the 50s all next week and even 60 maybe tomorrow. So that would be nice. Good stuff. Uh, lots to get to today. We're going to talk about formulating recipes, uh, barley wine. I've got a question on uh, my kegerator and all that, how to clean it because I've got a specific thing I want to do. But before we get to all that, uh, a new hop rhizome, one yes, that we have available. not mentioned before. No, we just found out we were getting some, and that's Comet. And so this is one that was popular for the past two years. It's uh, an American sea hop that has a nice tropical fruit flavor and, and the kind of lighter end of the tropical fruit for a little more pineapple. Um, and so it's a good hop for summer. might be one that's interesting to grow. Um, it's one I know I've talked about a lot on the show. So I can tell you I'm thinking about grabbing one. So if you already have every sea hop rhizome, we got a new one for you. So come on in. And again, we limited quantities. So if you really want it, call ahead, get a pre-order in. And we are starting to get some of the rhizomes in slowly. So we got a couple in last night. Um, expect a call for us in the next two weeks. We don't have all the varieties in yet, but we're going to start putting them aside, matching up with names on the pre-order. And so if you pre-ordered, expect a call in the next two weeks. Otherwise, if you're looking to come in and just grab one, I think next week we should have them some open for sale. All right. And so with the weather we're getting, I would say go ahead and get planning. Okay. Very good. Uh, we're going to get to some other things. The Uniha deadline is April 26th, the Upstate New York Homebrewers Association competition. April 26th, the deadline for that. We're also approaching National Homebrew Day, which comes up in uh, early May, which is right after the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Uh, so this is why I'm approaching you with uh, recipe formulation. I want to make a. I, I needed a bourbon stout by the time bourbon that stout. by the time that derby rolls around. I'm gonna need a bourbon stout. No mint pilsners or anything. Uh, like that. That's not a terrible idea. Uh, but first, actually, the thing I want to get to. I, I mentioned this on a show earlier. I finally got around to uh, pouring out for some. You know, for your old remember your best friends. Uh, I poured out a lot of beer. I had to call it on a couple of kegs that were old. I made a New England IPA when the Bills played the Rams. Yeah. To, to let you know how long it had been. And before that one, I made a harvest ale kind of, and they were just sitting and nobody was drinking. This is the one disadvantage that we don't often talk about with kegging systems. If you put a beer on tap that doesn't get consumed right away, it tends to linger. And if, especially if it's like an IPA or something like that that really is intended to be consumed fresh, your aspirations to drink it, diminishes the keg gets older and, and so they do eventually sitting around where if you have bottles tuck them away someplace cold mm -hmm. if you want to make another batch of beer grab some more bottles but if you only have a limited number of kegs you can really kind of pinch yourself there on uh, kind of cooperage space um and it happens and yep. it stinks yep i had to dump a lot and i you know as i'm dumping them i taste them I'm like these weren't that bad but it's just not something that since i'm the one that's home all the time i would all often drink mm -hmm. whereas if I make a pretty sweet, awesome stout, um, not a sweet stout, but an awesome stout, I, I will drink that. So to that in a minute. And you're but, brewing for a primary customer, and, and you save a lot of money home that, brewing. You know, so that's, if, you, if you have to you know dump some beer every once in a while, you're still saving money. Yep. 
and you get to brew again. And that's so where I want to. Fun part of that's the where I want to be is like I need to get my stout budget down. So I need to make an awesome one. So I'll save like a hundred bucks a month because I just buy these fifteen dollars stouts that I just go home and drink. And sometimes I don't even like them. I just mm-hmm. I want to keep drinking and trying them. So anyway, before we get to that, so in the process, I'm cleaning out my cleaning the lines. I'm basically going to um, you know I move the kegerator. I, I'm everything like starting fresh. And the lines that go, I bought the tower from you guys, and I put it mm-hmm. on top of a, of a, a freezer with the temperature gauge thing. I want to know if it's worth it and how tedious it is to take the lines that go from the inside of the tower right to the faucets. I think I should just replace those. Rather than clean those, I think I should just replace them. If a system's been sitting around for a while and you have the ambitions to replace your draft lines, I always encourage people to do it because if you end up using a system consistently and you take care of them, they're going to sit there for years. And so if you, you know, have had a little bit of staining or something like that from beer sitting in the lines. I always encourage people just to change it. Uh, it's going to make them easier to clean down the road, and it's going to make you feel a little bit better. Now, the towers always get a little tricky, and the first thing everybody tries to do is get their fingers in there and somehow get the, um, the hose off the barb inside the tower. So if, if nobody's, if you haven't looked inside a draft tower, it's a three-inch tube, usually about 18 inches long. Um, It has a cap at the top. So first thing, the cap at the top comes off. Um, And then when you look inside, you'll see a bent uh, elbow coming out of a shank and you see your hose kind of just disappearing into the darkness. Um, And so what you need to do is unhook the uh, end at the tap. So take the hose off the barb of the disconnect and then go up to the tower, pop the lid off, and then you'll see a single brass nut behind the faucet. What you do is unscrew that nut, try to hold on to it so it doesn't fall down the tower, and then you pull faucet hose and all all the way out through the um, tower. That way you can put it down on a table, you can clean the parts, you can get a screwdriver on it, take off that hose barb, and then to reassemble, simply put everything back together and start fishing the line down the tower. And that's it. Okay. So it's it's fairly simple, a little bit harder than doing just a regular fridge faucet, something mounted on the door, um, but worthwhile to do if you're inspired to. I, th- I think I am. It just seems like – and what's the shelf life on those on, on hoses and how many beers have they gone through? I would say I've had the tower now for almost, what, three years? Yeah. And 12 beers have gone through there. Like I want to say it's probably yeah. time. That's kind of a shame, though. That over three years, only twelve beers well, have gone through those I, taps. It was just a random. It was a yeah, random yeah. Guess, to be honest with you. It's probably more than twelve beers. But anyway, like I've had them for three years, and I've put lots of different kinds through. And I actually used one of the cleaners. I was mentioning you that I had a. It's called Power Punch. That's the one that I had. It's mm-hmm. like the green solution, which you might you might have mentioned is more for industrial lines, not necessarily for, for home. Not necessarily for homebrew, but food grade purposes yeah. in general. Um, anything that's food grade is going to work. You know, and, and it's going to be safe. Um, the question comes is, how is it treating your equipment and what residues or precipitates it might leave right. behind? And, and I if did you're that. Having, if and you're having good luck. You're not tasting anything. You should be okay. Um, I think, one, the, the, the proper cleaners for cleaning out your lines are cheap enough. So I use a combination of uh, usually just Be Bright. So you're talking two ninety nine for a right. half pound tub, uh, citric acid I think five dollars for a pound, uh, and star sand uh, four dollars for five ounces. You're using a fifth of an ounce 
each time. Right, and all those can go through those lines. Can all, and they can all soak those lines? You got it, and they're not going to cause any damage, any uh, chrome, nylon, neoprene, silicone, or stainless steel, brass, copper parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you won't have to worry about finding any green precipitates or you know black on your chrome or anything from any type of pH reaction. Um, and with the citric acid, obviously the pH reactions are all positive, so it's stripping off you know a lot of uh, minerals and stuff like that out S- from my parts. Same thing for the um, the connects the the connectors. What do they call those? The ball whatever. Ball connectors. Yes. Oh, and if, if there's a little pro tip on those, you see that flat indent in the top. That is for a standard screwdriver. You can actually take those apart to clean them. A lot of people don't realize that. So when they have problems, they get clogged. They think, oh, I need a new one. You can open that up. We carry all the parts for the inside. So if one happens to fall down the sink, you know, we can replace it for you. But, yeah, they're easy to take apart. You should look at the insides every once in a while. A lot of hot bits. How many parts inside there? Like if I unscrew that, is it spooling apart? Like everything is going to be under a little bit of tension, but you're going to have a poppet. You're going to have a spring. There is a washer on the poppet. Um, And then you have the cap, and there's a washer on the cap. So there's only a couple little parts in there. But inside that spring, you tend to get some bits. So you might want to open those up every once in a while. And soak those, same kind of thing? You can soak them in star sand or in V-Bright? And it's not something I do every time. And and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. About every industry standard was every two weeks you should be cleaning your tap lines. Right, Um, which home brewers are not going to do. Yeah, you got it. And so I try to do it between every keg. Um, and I don't disassemble. Uh, I don't even back flush. Like we were talking about, I to make it a little bit easier on myself, uh, instead of hooking up to the faucet to flush my lines, I hook up to the disconnect. Um, so it makes my life a little bit easier, not as great cleaning, um, but I do that between every keg. All right. I want to do it, like you said, you, you don't do it every time. I'm at the point where I, I want to like completely, like new, refurbish my own keyser system so to take them all apart to soak every part um i think that'd be good and then i want to fill it with a good beer <laughs> like I, i'm i'm ready to find the right recipe uh i'm not afraid of taking somebody else's at this point i sure i'd love to make my own or tweak somebody else's but i want to make a big awesome stout that i can put on or a robust porter even you know like yeah. i don't even need to go to imp- so uh, when we get back, let's talk about that. If you are looking for a, a recipe, if you are trying to find that next thing you know what you want to make, that's our topic coming up. Recipe formulation, where do you find your inspiration? That's up next as we continue here on Niagara Traditions. Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply... 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White, Rick Deister with you. All right, so recipe inspiration formulation that's where we are today you uh you want to find something you want to make a your next great beer where do you start where, where, how do you get either the 
the blueprint or just a template or downright to just give me yeah. something great to make. I think the hardest part, and I can say this is definitely true for me personally, and I, we see it in the shop all the time when people come in, they're really excited to brew, deciding exactly what to brew. Um, and doing that, having a clear focus of what you're trying to do. And so like you were talking about, you want to make a beer to have on top, which I do have Imperial Stout, you know, Foreign Export, Robust Porter. Pick a clear example of what you want to do. Um, whenever you look at recipe formulation, you come across a lot of ingredients that maybe you've never used before that you are really intrigued by. Now, you can either build a beer around those ingredients, but if they don't fit the style of beer you're trying to make, um, don't try to put them in there. And again, I'm really guilty of this. So I find new ingredients. I have a brew day. I think of what I want to have on tap. And then I try to force those ingredients in some way. Sometimes it works out really well. Sometimes it causes some problems. Not that I make bad beer with those ingredients, but it doesn't really fit style. It doesn't have that perfect balance. Um, so the first thing I encourage people to do is pick a certain style. Go to maybe the BJCP guidelines, look at what the classic examples are, go to Beer Advocate, look at what the most popular uh, brands are, and then go out and get yourself a mixer sixer and try all those beers. While you're trying them, try to figure out as much as you can, take some notes for you know what ingredients are used, what uh, stats you can get on the beer, whether it's starting gravity, finishing gravity, IBUs, what bittering or finishing hops they use, who they get their malts from, Anything you can find, write them down while you're trying the beer. A lot of times, too, you can look up some clone recipes while you're trying the beer. So see what other people trying to match that exact beer put together what worked out well for them. Write all this down. Put it down. Keep it with each of the beers. Keep the bottles around. And then when you go to formulate your recipe, I'm not saying pick your favorite and copy the recipe, but look at what your favorite points were from each beer. Build your favorite parts out of each recipe and kind of put it together to kind of personalize your own stout for your preferences. So you say, okay, I like the yeast. I really like the aroma coming off this one. I like that deep chocolate. You know, I think I want to use the same specialty grains as this other stout. And you want to want this one had a little bit of finishing hop, wasn't classic for the stout, but I really liked it. I'm going to try to figure out what they're doing for a finishing hop. So once you kind of put all the things together again you have all your parameters that you want to hit now you know what your alcohol is you want to hit you know what color you want to have your terminal gravity your bitterness flavor aroma from your hops and both your yeast profile now you have a more clear picture of what you want to brew and now the hardest thing to do is going to be to stick to that um, and again, it, it's hard to kind of not throw in a couple leftover ingredients, use the yeast that you bought out of impulse, you know, say, oh, I'm going to make this a, you know, stout lager. And, right. you know, because, oh, I bought this seasonal lager yeast and I haven't used it yet. Try to stick to every ingredient being for that style of beer. I know there are a couple of breweries. I think Ballast Points, one, they have the homebrew series mm -hmm. where they, you can buy a beer and around the neck it says, like, there's a Here's little Here's the car. recipe. Yeah. And I think um, that's probably what I'll do is actually they might they might make a robust porter that I want to make. So you like that's a perfect example where hey, here's how to do it. Yeah, go ahead and make it. There's a bunch of other ones out there too. Um, uh, Rogue Brewing Company. Not only do they give you pretty much their entire recipe, they don't give you I think as far as grist percentages, but they give you just about everything else. And if you've been brewing long enough, you know that those like. 
finishing gravity's color is going to depend a little bit on your system. So you're going to want to plug those numbers into uh, something anyways and kind of adapt the recipe for your system. Uh, like Amis used to give their recipes right on the bottle as well. And so breweries, I guess now that um, there's you know a lot of competition in craft uh, brewing, and um, I think the consumer is becoming more savvy. And so brewers are putting more and more information about their beer on the bottle. I mean, if you buy an IPA, uh, and I think this is something that I look for. If I'm going to go out and buy a couple IPAs, I want to know what the finishing hops are. You know, I'm interested. I know the hops. I want to know what I'm tasting, especially if it's a hop I haven't tried. Um, So I want to know that before I buy the beer. Brewers know this. So they're putting this information all over the beer. Um, So some of those recipes might be already on the bottle. So take a look there. But go to the brewery's website first. Try to figure out as much as you can and then start putting together your own recipe with all the favorite parts of the beers you've tried. And also an important part is know what kind of beer is going to be good or bad for whatever kind of system you have. For instance, I I have not bottled that much. I go right to keg, which means Imperials are probably not going to happen. Yeah, I have a rule at my my house where if it's – over this is getting pushed a little bit with the, the east coast ipas my old rule used to be seven percent i've pushed it to 8.5 <laughs> um, recently but if a beer is over 8.5 percent has more than two pounds of uh roasted barley has any type of heavy spice in it um i don't put it on tap um oh and i used to have a uh 70 ibu clause which is also slowly being Moved. thrown out the window yeah why, why is that did you have that rule because some of the same beers that I really want to consume fresh, and so the kegging system is really nice for that, you know, taking it out of a secondary and drinking it the next day, carbonated, cold, ready to go. Um, and especially with a lot of these East Coast sales and New England IPAs, um, they are enjoyed good fresh, and they happen to be mostly around 80 IBUs and 8%. So uh, if I'm going to be making those and I'm enjoying them fresh, I don't want to make mini batches and i don't want to bottle them all so yeah like you said you can have rules but as a brewer you can you can bend them no but i mean like the the, the initial rule is because a kegging system just can't keep it as fresh you're saying yeah like an and, imperial and stout the other thing is i'm not gonna uh with like an imperial stout it's something i might have you know when i first brew it uh and it's kind of sitting there uh, aging. I'll start trying one every couple of nights. Then I'll try to hold off for a week or two. And I don't want to have all that infrastructure, that easy access, you know, that quick turnover infrastructure, my kegging system, tied up by a beer that I'm trying to age or feel like it really needs a little bit more time. Now, if I impulse brew this imperial stout now, you know, we're going into spring and summer, um, I bottle it, it's going to be phenomenal come fall next winter. Okay. Um, and I'll really have done it a favor. If I put it on the kegging system, I'm going to be trying to force myself through this end of the keg in June when it's, you know, you know, hoping 85 degrees out and, you know, sunny. And I would much rather have a, you know, Belgian ale or German Pilsner on tap. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people do have, you know, large keezers filled with 12 taps or more, but I don't. I have two taps. Okay. And I got to keep them circulating. Otherwise, I end up bottling, and I don't like doing that all the time. So, okay, so how far? We, we, we know what we want to brew. We have the ingredients in front of us, and now we're deciding how much. This is really where, if you haven't been brewing for a while, a recipe calculator 
comes in handy. Use one that you trust. Try to use the same one over and over again because you can start backfilling information in on it and get a little bit more accurate results. So uh, I really like uh, Brewer's Friend. Uh, a lot of people at the shop like ProMash software, and there's a bunch of other really popular ones out there. Try a couple. Find out which one you like the best and then really start trying to fine-tune how you use it. Um, you'll find out that maybe at least your perceived bitterness might be a little bit off from the calculations that it's using, if it's using like Ranger or something like that. And so you might know that you need to up your hopping compared to what it's going to tell you. You might know with your you know uh, method of fermentation and control that you get a little bit higher attenuation out of the same yeast than what it's projecting you're going to get at that temperature. So you might want to up those attenuations. The more you can do to back input into those programs, the more you know, consistency you're going to get when you brew. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing I, I really like to do is look at the BJCP guidelines once before I make my final decision. And the reason I do that is if this is a really good beer, if I want to enter it into a competition later on, if I put, you know, one screwball ingredient in there, if I uh, drop something that might have been classic for the style, if I decide to enter it, I know it's not going to do well. Um, so always take one last look at the BJCP guidelines kind of before you start uh, brewing. And so you might want to do one last tweak to the recipe. And then here's the biggest thing. Go back and make that beer again. Take good notes on the recipe about how the beer tastes, how it turned out, what problems you had during brewing. And if you really want good recipes, you're going to have to brew the same beer four, five times. Um, you know, ask any brewer, say, oh, like, you know, did you get this beer right? Did you get your flagship right on the right try? Absolutely not. Um, and you look at a lot of breweries have a practice of making a batch on a first run of a system and dumping it because they know they're not going to hit their stats. They want to find out what their, you know, mash and brew house efficiency is. They want to know what they're going to get for attenuation out of their yeast. They want to know what they're going to get for solubility out of their hops. Um, and so until you've made a recipe once on your system, you don't know what you're going to get in the end. And so if you really want to get good recipes, take notes, make them more than once. About five minutes left here. One thing you might decide you want to make is barley wine. We mentioned. Oh, we're going to try to get in. This was five minutes. Should we, or what? Do you want to get something else? You want to, think, if you've got a whole show for this, we can save it for next week. Um, I think we we, we can get into it a little bit here because we, we we've teased enough on it that we really need to get into it. So we we're talking good. about last week barley wines, the ultimate beer not to put on tap. Um, barley wines come from English brewers, and we really didn't see them uh, being called barley wines until 1872 when Bass made their number one, which was a big 8% dark beer, and they called it a barley wine. Called them barley wines really because they were competing with you know, French um, wine growers as, as this kind of more sophisticated beverage. And so when they made these big, strong ales that they maybe barrel aged or cask aged, they were saying this is something that requires a little more maturity. It requires a little more aging, a little more maceration to get it uh, to where it's supposed to be and it's something that's meant to be sipped and enjoyed. Um, a little bit later, you saw like Tennant come out with like a golden barley wine, a lot more similar to what we see in the American styles now. But these were biggest, the biggest beers um, that you could find. Um, and they brewed them using what's called the party guile system. Um, so if you've been brewing all grain, you've heard about this, especially if you brew big beer, somebody like me hopefully has been telling you that you need to be doing this every batch because you have a free five-gallon batch of beer still sitting in your mash tun. When you pull off a beer that, say, has a pre-boil gravity of 70, 80 points, 
the sparge that's coming off after that still may be 33, 45 points of gravity. Um, and so what the English brewers would do is they would take a first runnings and usually uh, take a little bit less but higher gravity than what they would need um, for a starting boil gravity. So what I usually do is I try to sparge to what I want my volume to be say seven and a half gallons. Now it's usually actually a little bit high because I got like 16, 18 pounds of grain in there. So what I do is I begin adding water until I get my pre-boil gravity. Say that's 80 points. Now I'm at eight and a half gallons. I take a gallon off of the boil and put that into a second pot and I do another sparge. And that's the second runnings beer. That's your free beer coming off your big barley wine, your big stout, your super imperial IPA. Um, and so they did this to make the breweries a little more efficient. And <clears throat> I would say some of my favorite beers come out of the Party Guile brewing system. You look at uh, Fuller's, and they make almost their full line off of one mash. They actually go back and add roasted malts to try to get the lighter beers to be a little bit darker and give them a little bit more gravity. Um, but barley wines, like you were saying, are they dead? Are they forgotten? No, they're still alive and well. They're just not an everyday beer. If I think of some of uh, my favorite examples, you can still get the Tenant. Um, there's a lot of good clone recipes for it. Flying Bison has Herc. Um, that's a great one to try. And some other ones I see around all the time are like Sarah Nevada Bigfoot mm. and Great Divide Old Ruffian. Mm -hmm. um, but a barley wine is obviously a beer that's made to be uh, aged, again, not one to put on tap, but that second running spear, that's the one to put on tap. Yeah. Um, personally, I usually do the first batch in a three-gallon, so my, my first runnings will be a three-gallon batch, and then I make a five-gallon batch for the second runnings. So I'll have my like American-style barley wine, three gallons to bottle, so a little over a case, will age out very nicely, maybe do a little bit of oak aging, kind of throw back to the English breweries, um, and then five gallons of usually an American pale ale. Uh, sometimes you can even get an IPA if you don't mind adding a little bit of corn sugar and malt extract to boost those second runnings. But yeah, and then you have five gallons of a really great free beer on the second half. Just add yeast. I just like that Herc, Bigfoot, and Old Ruffian. Yeah, there's, it's a, not there's a, beer. a kind of theme to these. <laughs> you're not naming names. it uh, Flower Petal. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> your, your barley wine's going to have some hair on its chest. Yeah, That's and it's, it's a beer that can take the abuse of any seller. Um, if you have a barley wine and you're not ready to drink it, that's fine. Put it away. You're going to do it favors. They age like wine. It's obviously in the name. Um, and if you're looking for something to brew when you have a full draft system, like so when you have every keg filled and you're looking for something to brew because you just want to be a glutton for punishment and do some bottling, go for a barley wine. And you can still get a keg beer off the back half. All right. Did you get everything you needed about barley wine? Do we have to do another show? We're out of time here. We I could do definitely another show say, sometime I, I on barley wine. To, I don't want to limit you and you know, get you in this yeah, yeah. small box on barley wines here. All right. Well, that's it for us. Uh, stay tuned. Down the line, National Homebrew Day is going to be May 7th. We're going to be celebrating May 6th since May 7th falls on a Saturday. We're all going to be brewing a beer at Niagara Tradition for you to come in and taste. We'll actually have our usual all-grain demo in the afternoon and beginning brewing class in the morning. So if you are not on our email newsletter, sign up for the email newsletter, and you'll be the first to find out about tickets available for the class. All right. All well, right. that's it. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the higher temps. Yeah, and go brew yourself. Beer, 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 beer. You've been listening.
listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.